You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. So we are talking about intercessory prayer, and as I was, was thinking about that, I was thinking about the Olympics. Anybody watching the Olympics? Yeah, some of you, okay, you're missing out, those of you who haven't yet, because one of the things I love about the Olympics is you never really know what's gonna happen. And last night was the first night my wife Jamie and I have watched it. We turned it on and watched some of the events. And um, we were watching uh, downhill mogul skiing and the men's, the men's version of that. The women's had already gone. And it's just a crazy sport. I'm not even sure it's a sport. It's insane. So you start at the top of this really high hill and you go down it as fast as you can on a pair of skis, hitting as many bumps as you possibly can, moguls, and then you go over these jumps and you do all these aerials and get all this air and you're supposedly supposed to land on your skis and not your head, and then you're supposed to finish out the race. And one of the many things they judge you on is how quickly you can do it. But also, you know, do you ski cleanly and keep your skis together? Man, I'd just be happy to survive the thing. It's just, it's crazy. And so everyone had gone except the last guy. And the guy who had gone before the last guy was the king of the sport. His, he's, his last name is Kingsley. Don't remember his first name. He's a Canadian. He has dominated the sport for years and years and years. He was the gold medal shoe-in. Everyone knew that he was going to win, and he had skied this unbelievable run, and he was in first place. And so this last guy who's going to go barely qualified for the event. He's never qualified or placed in any of the events they've ever had, you know, with all the other races that go on with the World Cup and everything else. So this guy's new on the scene. He's this Swede guy. His name was Walter Wallerberg. So Walter Wallerberg starts his run, and the commentators have already had him losing before he even starts down the hill. You know, he's, you know, he's kind of, he barely qualified for this, and this is kind of a formality that we're even letting him go. I mean, it wasn't quite that bad, but that was the vibe. He starts down the hill, and he's crazy. Dude is just crazy. I mean, he, you, you, you know he's gonna crash. And he's one of these skiers, and there's different types of skiers. He's the type of skier who points his skis down the hill, and he goes. And he looks like he's barely gonna stand up, let alone make it. And he's going over all these moguls, and it looks like he's completely out of control, but he actually is in control, and comes to the aerial jumps and does these amazing aerials, lands cleanly on his skis, and he's the fastest one down the hill. And the judges go, well, that's only 20%, so yeah, he, may, he might place, you know, second or third, but probably not, he wins the gold. <laughs> Unbelievable. This guy who comes out of nowhere, he wins the gold, and I thought, you know what? In so many ways, that's what intercessory prayer is like. You never know what God is going to do in response to the prayers of his people. Amen. So let's go there. How do, we, how do we live this out as individuals and as a church family? What does intercessory prayer really, really look like? And we're not gonna be able to cover all the bases in the limited time we have here this morning, so I call your attention to the resource table in the back, and we have um, something that we printed off for you from an entity, a website called gotquestions.org. I'd strongly recommend you use that as a resource. If you have a question about the Lord, about the Bible, about life, it's probably been asked on that website and answered biblically 
through the write-ups there. And there's an incredibly helpful write-up called What is Intercessory Prayer? that's available in the back. I would encourage you to grab it when we're done here if you'd like to look at this more. But we're returning to our Jeremiah series and we're gonna learn from his example in many ways what intercessory prayer is like. And we're gonna pick up right where we left off in chapter seven last week. This is the next verse that followed that section that we looked at together last week. And this is what it says. So do not pray for this people, nor offer any plea or petition for them. Do not plead with me, for I will not listen to you. And this is God talking. But this repeats in other chapters. In 11 and 14, it says, do not pray for this people or offer any plea or petition for them because I will not listen when they call to me in the time of their distress. Then the Lord said to me, do not pray for the well-being of this people. Okay, Pastor Jay, I thought we were talking about intercessory prayer and here's God telling Jeremiah, yeah, don't do that. Don't, don't pray for these people. And when we read God's word and when we study God's word together, one of the things we're always seeking to do as a preaching team is to equip you to read God's word and to understand it for yourselves. And so as we come to this, we do need to do business with these verses, but we need to understand context. Okay, this is a message to Jeremiah in what we just looked at. And the context is, for hundreds and hundreds of years, God's people have been called back to him, back to right relationship with him through his prophets, through his truth being proclaimed. Jeremiah himself, for 30 years, warned them and called them back to a right relationship with God. Leave your sin, leave your selfishness, leave your brokenness, and return to God. And they said, no, over and over and over and over again. So this is situational and it is specific. God is telling Jeremiah specifically, do not pray for these people to avoid judgment and exile because I've already made up my mind. It's gonna happen. They will be judged and the nation will go into exile. So stop praying for that. But notice what he does not say. God does not say stop praying for these people entirely because what we're gonna see is he will continue to intercede for them and he will continue to pray on their behalf and we'll see that here in just a little bit. But even right out of the gate, this is a message for you and me. Think about this from God's standpoint. These people have wronged him, betrayed him, cheated on him, hurt him over and over and over again. What happens when we're treated that way? What happens when someone wrongs us, hurts us, betrays us? Quite honestly, between you and me, my first response is not to pray for them. But that should actually be our first response. God's word over and over again tells us to pray for those, and especially to pray for those who wrong us. Pray for our enemies. Romans 12 gets very specific about this. Pray for those who persecute you. We don't overcome evil with evil. We overcome evil with good. We are the only worldview, the only religion that I understand that says you pray for your enemies and those who wrong you. Prayer is not the last resort for us. It is the first resort for us. And so one of the many reasons why we pray to God on behalf of others is because God responds to it. In fact, it's not an it. He responds to us in relationship. God responds to our prayers. And there is 
so many examples of this in God's word. Here's just a handful. We see Abraham and Moses, and I was running out of room on the slide, so I parked Miriam next to Moses, but you know, Miriam, David, Samuel, Hezekiah, Elijah, Jeremiah, who we've looked at over and over again, Ezekiel, Daniel, Deborah, Esther, Mary. This is not a complete list, but these are all examples of people who pray, either prayed for the entire nation or prayed for others. They, they all lived out intercessory prayer for us and what it, what it looks like. Let's think of one example in particular. Since Abraham's top of the list, let's just start with him. So in Genesis 18, this fascinating, really fascinating exchange happens between God and Abraham. God, very much like his people here in Jeremiah, has warned and warned and warned Sodom and Gomorrah, they, they, they've got to turn from their way, and they won't. They continue to practice evil, they continue to do unspeakable things, and so God finally has to judge them. And he tells Abraham, I'm gonna destroy those cities. And Abraham begins to negotiate with him. Do you remember Genesis 18? And Abraham says, Lord, but if there were 50 people, would you spare the city? And God says, yes, I, I, I would. But so it goes, 40, 30, 20, 10. And you kind of feel like, geez, Abraham, you're pushing your luck here a little bit. You know, he is God. What, are you sure you should be doing that? And God says, for 10 righteous people, I will spare the city. But as we know, 10 can't be found. And so the city is destroyed. But that whole thing should make us stop and pause for a minute. Okay, God changes his mind? Does God change? And the answer is, well, no. God doesn't change his character, his essence, the content of his knowledge, his promises, all that is unchanging, but he does change his attitude and his actions in response to his people. God is relationally responsive. He is. Where do you think you and I get our capacity for relationship? from the relational God whose image we are made in. God is relationally responsive to us. And you know, the question then begs to be asked, how does that work? And the precise theological answer, and now I'm quoting Gary Brashears, is I don't know. <laughs> I don't fully understand the mystery of that, but, but he does respond relationally to us in prayer, so therefore, our prayers for others should be practical and specific. We should not hesitate to pray practically and specifically for people. And our example, once again, we can find one here in Jeremiah. If we fast forward to Jeremiah 29, God says, do pray for these people, and this is how he asks him to pray for them. Build houses and have them settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city I'm gonna exile you to, to which I've carried you to. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Do you see the specificity in there? He's telling Jeremiah, this is, this is how I want you to pray for the people. Not that judgment and exile would be avoided. That's, that's gonna happen. But pray for them in this way. And you can apply this wisdom to virtually any relationship in your life. Let's just go there for a minute. When I was um, 
at my last church, I just stepped onto the pastoral staff team as the middle school pastor. We would have these prayer cards that would come in every week. Now, we've advanced beyond that here at Grace, and we have a prayer email that we send out, and it comes out in real time. But we used to have to wait to get these cards the middle of the week when we would gather as a staff to pray. And so we'd pray for these cards. And right away, the first week I was on staff there, here was a card that came through from one of the kids in my middle school ministry. And um, he was asking for prayer for his friend, Elliot. Pray that Elliot would come to know Jesus. So we did. We prayed. And then the card came in again the next week. Pray for Elliot. And then the next week, pray for Elliot. And then the next week, pray for Elliot. And then the next week, pray for Elliot. Without fail, and I'm not exaggerating, for six years, every single week, a prayer card came through that said... Pray for Elliot. The staff would read. Whoever had that card would read that to the rest of us. Pray for all this stuff. And we almost always ended and pray for. And we all say, Elliot. And then we would pray. Six years, every week, over and over and over again, till that sixth year, a card came through that said, Elliot received Jesus. It doesn't always play out that way, right? But the reality is, his faithfulness in praying for his friend changed things. When's the last time you've prayed for a friend like that? Is that how you pray for the friends in your life? What about as a parent? For those of you who are parents, do you pray consistently, persistently for your kids? You know, before our kids were born, we prayed for them. And Jamie and I prayed that if you gift us with kids someday, you know, give us wisdom to know how to pray for them when we see how you've made them, when we see how you've uniquely crafted each one of them. So our, we've had three kids, two daughters and a son. And they, as they came along and we began to see um, their character and their strengths, in one of them we saw this, this propensity to really be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I mean, this kid just really was sensitive to, to the Lord. And so we prayed that God would amplify that, magnify that, that she'd have a gift of being able to discern what's, what's from the Lord and what's not. And I just let the cat out of the bag. You know I'm talking about one of my daughters. <laughs> and she's like that today. One of her gifts is this special sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Now, try not to blow it with the other two kids. So this other kid had this really tough, resilient faith, even as a little kid. I mean, it just seemed like nothing would, would shake things there. So we prayed specifically as parents for this kid that they would have a tough, resilient faith. And they have been through some things in their life that we would have never dreamed would come their way. Very, very difficult things. And they have a tough, resilient faith. And then our last, our other kid, rather, prayed for this kid because we saw that there was leadership potential in this kid, and wherever this kid goes, they create a wake. I mean, they just, they are a leader. Now, did we pray those things into existence? Not necessarily, but we saw the potential there, and we prayed for God to extract that forth. Parents, are you praying for your kids? Grandparents, you have an incredibly unique role in the lives of, of your grandkids. No one else can fill that role. 
but you. And I stand before you as one who follows Jesus today because I know for a fact in my spiritual journey, I had a couple grandparents who prayed decades for me to come to know Jesus. And they were a huge part of my spiritual journey. And I'm absolutely convinced that I stand before you today as one who knows and loves the Lord because they prayed for me, grandparents. Are you consistently, persistently praying for your grandkids? Or what about us as a church? This isn't something we just do individually, we do it corporately. Do you rise above your heads right now? There are thousands of names written on the studs of the second floor because when we built that in 2007 and eight, we as a church family said, who do we need to pray for in our families, among our friends, among our coworkers, among our neighbors? Who do we need to pray for in the years to come? And we wrote all these names on the studs. My dad's name is on one of those studs up in my office and he's now with the Lord. In part, in no small part, because not only I prayed for him, you did too. Or just recently last year when we celebrated our 40th anniversary, we had this 40 days of prayer. Remember that for those of you who were here? And we prayed very specifically for the future. We asked you to put in prayers for future generations that we wrote on a board out there for those who will come behind us. But again, this is something we don't just do individually. We do it together because prayer, intercessory prayer, praying on behalf of someone else changes things. It is powerful. It is effective. You know, we looked at this reality last week in part and the week before, how you live your life absolutely matters. By way of example, positively speaking, if you live righteously, it's more than just about you. It affects the lives of those around you. So if you do business with your sin and your brokenness, if you seek God's forgiveness for that, if you welcome the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, if you live righteously, which I know many of you are, it matters. It doesn't just affect your life, it affects the lives of those around you. Conversely, sin doesn't just affect you. It's not just about me and you. It affects the lives of those around us. And a vivid example of this is in the New Testament in 1 Peter when he's talking about how husbands and wives are to love one another, he says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, there's so much to unpack just in this verse. We could easily do a sermon, if not many, around this. But the reality is, I personally believe that husbands are called to a spiritual role of leadership in their marriages to initiate and be concerned about and tuned into the well being of the spiritual welfare of their family and they, they are called to lead by example and to love their wives. And when I have husbands coming to me who are struggling in their marriages, one of the first things we talk about with their prayer life and invariably when we ask what's going on in your prayer life, it's, if it's even existent, it's not going real great. Well, why is that? Because how you live your life matters. And it's more than just being about you and me. It impacts the lives of those around us. And Psalm 66, 18 in the Old Testament says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And in that first Peter example, husbands, why should God listen to you if you won't listen to and love your wife? But that's, we're not just picking on husbands here. It goes, it's true for all of us in all of our roles. 
our prayers can be powerful and effective, but it, it does matter what our intimacy and relationship with the Lord is, is like. But it's not just us individually, it's us communally as well. Look at this in the New Testament in James. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. We'll come back to that. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. And if they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Going back to what you saw there earlier, the elders, we love to pray for you, and we do every time we gather together. But we also invite you, if you need healing, or if you just wanna be with the elders so we can pray for you, we welcome that. There is rarely a meeting that goes by that we don't have someone coming to us that we're anointing with oil and praying for healing or just, just praying with them. We'd love to do that. We invite you to take us up on that. But all of our prayers Matter. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And some of you are really gifted at praying for others because it's a gift. Because you have a strength, you have a proclivity, you have a bent to pray for others, and so you do. And there are a number of gifted intercessory prayers in our church family. A couple of them live in my neighborhood. In fact, a lot of you live in my neighborhood, so I always need to behave myself. But with that as well, when Jamie and I are out running, we invariably see one or both people in this couple, and I didn't ask their permission to use their names, so I'm gonna tell their story without their names, but almost every time we're out running, we see one of them. And they're walking and getting their exercise, and they're praying. And many times they'll stop us and ask us how they can pray for us. You know, what's, what's the latest with your mom and has she come to know the Lord yet? No, she hasn't, but we're praying that she does. And you know, yay for people like that, right? What a blessing. That is awesome. But we're all called to pray on behalf of others. Not just the gifted people who are good at it or have a bent towards it. Just like we're all called to tell the Jesus story, and just like there are a number of you who are gifted in telling the Jesus story, we're all called to give a reason for the hope that's within us. We're all called to pray for others as well. It's rich, and it's good, and it's powerful. And you know, last week we talked about this reality of biblical righteousness as being lived out by disadvantaging ourselves for the sake of the unnoticed or the worthless or passed over person. Did you do that this week? Remember, we, we left. We, we made a handshake commitment together, kinda, after last Sunday that we would look for that opportunity. And maybe it hasn't come to you yet, and that's okay. But you know one of the ways you disadvantage yourself for the sake of the worthless person is you pray for them. When's the last time you've done that? I mean, by all means, we should help with physical needs and do whatever we can. If we can do something about it, we do something about it but you can always pray. And if you're not convinced about the reality of this and the fact that you're missing out on something extremely rich in your life, if you don't consistently and persistently pray for other people, if you don't have enough motivation, here's motivation for us with this whole thing. 
Do you know this is what Jesus is doing for you, has done for you, and is doing for me and you? What's Jesus doing right now? As the word tells us. Who then is the one who condemns, Romans 8 says? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is also what? Interceding for us. Or what about this? Also in Romans, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. You ever had a moment in your life where you don't know what to do, you don't know what to pray for? God meets you in those moments through his Spirit and he prays on your behalf, even when you don't have the words. What about this? Therefore, it's talking about Jesus, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Are you convinced yet? Why do you pray for other people? Because that is what God has done and is doing for you. We say this all the time because it's, it's true. Living the gospel is about responding to the gospel. Why do you love people who are hard to love? Isn't that the way God loves you and me? Why do you forgive people who don't deserve it? Because isn't that what God has done for you and me? Why do you pray for other people? You fill in the bank. Because isn't that what God has done and is doing for us? And the answer is yes. And communion captures all of these realities for us. It reminds us that God has done something for us that we can't do for ourselves. We don't do it through being a better person. We don't do it by trying to follow the rules necessarily. We don't do it by turning to religion. We do it by responding and receiving what God in a relationship, seeking right relationship with us, has done. He has sent Jesus to die on a cross to take all of, our, all of our selfishness and sinfulness and brokenness on himself, and then he dies and rises again to new life, and there's this exchange that happens where we get his power for right living with other people and with him. And the only way you get that power and experience that reality is through knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. So we're going to celebrate that. So I'm going to invite our servers to come forward who will be serving the elements to us and our worship team to come forward who will be leading us in worship. And we encourage you to come forward. And if there's someone around you who can't come forward, would you please offer to bring the elements to them? And we have gluten-free on the end tables here if that's what you need as well. But would you come forward, receive these elements, take them back to your chair, and then we'll celebrate together in just a minute. But the reality is, we have a God who has invited us to join him on the divine rescue mission. He rescues us from brokenness and settling for a sinful, selfish life and in return gives us so much better through knowing Jesus and having right relationship with him. And so as you come forward, you're saying yes to that. I want this. I want to celebrate this, experience this. And maybe you've never made that defining moment choice to receive and follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You do that as you come forward by your actions. You say with your heart, I want to know and experience you, Lord. 
But come forward, receive these elements, take them back to your chairs, and we'll worship and celebrate here in just a little bit. Amen. You can... We can't clap for that. What in the world could we clap for? Come on. We know and love and serve a God who turns things around, and prayer moves him. And he responds to the prayers of his people. doesn't mean we always get what we want, when we want, how we want. But he is moving. And all of us who know him are here because someone prayed for us. And so now we're asked to go and live that out and to do the same. So before we go, Stan and Carol are here. We love them. We don't get them in the zip code very often. And if you haven't had a chance to say hi to them or even to meet them, we really want to encourage you to do so. And we love you and can't wait till you're back here permanently, honestly. But God bless you and thank you for your faithfulness in the UAE. And that being said, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Be joyful always. Pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances. Not give thanks for everything, but give thanks in all circumstances. And so my friends, family, as we go from here, let's live that out. Let's pray for those around us and let's watch and expect for God to move because he does. Prayer changes things. Prayer matters. So let's pray his blessing over us as we prepare to go from here. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are faithful, that you are good, and that you respond to us. You listen to us. And we're so grateful that we know and love and serve a God who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And we do believe that even when we can't see it, even when it's not on our timetable or our terms, you are at work. And so because of that, we commit ourselves to praying not just for ourselves, as important as that is, but also praying for others. Put people across our path, in our minds, on our hearts, this week, today, who we need to be praying for. And thank you for this time that we've had to seek you together. In Jesus' name, amen. And as we prepare to go from here on the screens behind me are just ways for you to get further involved in intercessory prayer here at Grace. You can sign up for any of these things by talking to one of us or going out to the kiosk. But again, thanks for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.